Amen, amen. It's good to see everybody this morning. I know that uh, I'd say most everybody is, is exhausted and tired because of school being started back. I know all the kids and all the children love getting up early in the morning to, uh, to get back into the routine of things. School has turned my wife, she ain't in here, is she? But school has turned Rachel, oh my gosh. I told her, I said, no. I, well, listen, I'll tell her you're lying. She knows. But now, now listen, get, just getting in, when you got five children, I was talking about how wonderful you are and how, how you're handling the transition back into school. You know, how, how it's just a piece of cake and you, know, you wake up bouncing off the walls and some, something like that. But uh, no, I know, I know that it's, uh, it's a challenge just to get back into the uh, to routine of things, but uh, uh, it, it, it's a good thing. Uh, again, like Clay said, I'm, uh, if you're here visiting with us for the first time, we, uh, we want to welcome you, extend a special welcome to you. We've had a couple of uh, new babies born over the past couple of weeks. Uh, um, uh, Anthony and, and Holly Hibbert had their baby, and uh, Shannon and Alex had their baby, so we've been doing a little bit of visiting there, so keep them in your prayers, and we've got several others that are pregnant. We're going to grow this church one way or the other. Hopefully, we don't have to pay for everybody's college tuition, uh, but uh, either way, we just want to uh, continue to pray for them. You know, in your bulletin, I want to make mention of this real quick. In, in your bulletin, there is a ministry spotlight, and what we're doing is we're highlighting a particular ministry uh, in, in the church each month. And in the month of August, we've not mentioned it a whole lot, but uh, I want to mention it this morning, is, uh, is the nursery. My wife heads up the nursery uh, as well as A to Z, and that's why she's not able to be in here a whole lot uh, during the, the church services. But, um, you know, I can't tell you how much, again, we, we have five children and how much I appreciate everybody that, that works in the nursery, in A to Z, in, in children's church. Uh, every parent here is blessed and fortunate to have people that are willing to serve so that uh, you can have your time with the Lord, and, and we're grateful for that. But one of the things that, as a pastor, that's been a, a huge challenge is to get people being willing to volunteer and, and be a part of these, uh, these ministries. They, I know it's not an easy ministry. It can be stressful at times. But, but again, these are God's children. The, the, these are the, the most formative years of your child's life. And, uh, you know, we have a, a, an outstanding uh, group of people that, that serve and, and help. And, and I just want to take a minute to, to recognize them. And would you uh, give them a big hand clap this morning? I, I won't take the time to read this, but I want to encourage you to do that. And, and if you're interested or, or willing to, to be a part of uh, uh, the nursery ministry would like to help out. Uh, I want to encourage you to to see me or Clay or or, or my wife as well, and uh, we, we'd love to have you help serve it. Again, we we have these special events uh, like we're having next week, and it's always a a challenge to find child care or have somebody willing to to do child care during this particular time. And so, uh, with the number of women that are pregnant and these children that are going to be uh, born, that have been born, that are going to be born over throughout this next year, we're going to have to grow our, our, our nursery staff. And so, uh, I want to encourage you to pray about it and, and, and consider it and just ask the Lord if He wants you to, to be a part of that ministry because it's, it's a growing ministry. I mean, these people, they, they hold your children, they love on your children, they pray for your children, they care for your children, and that is a big, big deal. I mean, I, I found out that, that, you know, families will endure a boring preacher all day long as long as they know that their children are being taken care of and ministered to. And so we want to have a, 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 a powerful, effective, fruitful uh, nursery, uh, learning center, children's church ministry, and we need people to get involved to, to con help continue for it to grow. But uh, if you've got your Bible with you, I want, to, uh, I want you to turn over to the book of Matthew, <laughs> Matthew chapter number 3. And this morning I want, I want to talk about, uh, it, it's a, a huge topic, it, it encompasses a lot of things, and the terms that are used are 
are, 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 are used quite frequently, things are, are said about it, but, but if you were to take the time to get in and, and just study the, the kingdom of God, it is inexhaustible. You, you, you cannot learn everything there is to know about the kingdom of God. And what I found out is that very few people really even know what the kingdom of God is and how the kingdom of God operates and, 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 and the purpose of the kingdom of God and why it exists. And, you know, very few people who even know the king of the kingdom. But what I want to talk about this morning is the kingdom of God and how it relates to the different levels and degrees of spiritual maturity. Now, I want to say something that sounds a whole lot like heresy, but I want you to hear me out. God's will for your life is not for you to go to heaven. God's best for your life is not for you to go to heaven. God's will and God's best for your life is for you to become like the one who's going to take you to heaven. That's God's will, and that's God's best. And, 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 and when we look at the cross, the cross is a part of the kingdom, but the cross is only the entrance into the kingdom. It's just the first step. It, 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 it's the entryway into the kingdom of God, but God expects us to continue to grow and develop and mature. God doesn't save anybody that he doesn't intend for them to become a disciple. You can't be a Christian and not be a disciple. Let, let me say that again. I know that's kind of hard, but you can't be a Christian and not be a disciple, because those two words are forever joined together. If you are a Christian, God intends for you to be a disciple. And if there's one area in the body of Christ, at least in America, that we have failed at miserably, that is making disciples who make disciples. We've done a really good job giving people a God that they can feel. We can, you know, have great worship. We, we can experience the Holy Spirit and the moving of the Holy Spirit. And we can feel God. We can sense God. We know that God is among us. Our, our emotions come alive and energized by the presence of God. We, 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 we're familiar with a God that we can feel, but rarely do we find people who have a Lord that they follow. It's one thing to have a God you can feel. It's another thing to have a Lord that you follow. Jesus himself said in John chapter 6, verse 46, he says, Why do you call me Lord and not do the things which I say? He said in Matthew chapter 7, he says, Not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father. And so you can't say no to the Lord and mean it at the same time. If he's the Lord, the only answer and option we have is what? Yes, Lord. We don't say no, Lord. We say yes, Lord. And obedience is not optional for somebody that claims to be a Christian. But discipleship is, 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 is a primary part of the Great Commission, and we exist to be Christians who put the Great Commandment as priority to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are people that make a commitment to the Great Commission both locally and globally, and that is to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then it says this, teaching them to obey. Teaching them to obey all the things which I have commanded you. It, have you ever tried to teach somebody to obey? Hmm. Have you ever tried to teach your children to obey? Have you ever tried to teach a cat to obey? It's a very difficult thing to do, but yet that is the expectation and the challenge that we have before us. But I think we could never fully grasp what God's purpose and what God's best is for our life until we understand the process that God takes us through as we pursue becoming everything that God wants us to be concerning the kingdom of God. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Matthew chapter number 3, verse 1. We're going to read one verse here and we'll pray. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. Verse 3 says, For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of the one crying out of the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. So I want to talk for a few minutes about the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of being able to gather together in this building as a church family to hear your word, to worship you, to fellowship, to enjoy this day and celebrate who you are and what you've done for us. But Lord, you've done more and your intention is for us to be more than what we are right now. And for us to become more than what we are, we have to leave where we are and go to where you're calling us to. I pray, Lord, today that you would speak to us clearly through your word. That, Lord, you would cause revelation to come alive in our heart. Cause the words that that I speak to come alive, that are full of power and and full of conviction. And and allow your words not to fall on on deaf ears, but give us hearing ears and understanding hearts and a, a willingness to obey. Lord, speak to us this morning. Our ears are open to what you have to say in Jesus' name. And everybody said... The kingdom of God. Now the Bible has a lot to say concerning the subject of the kingdom of God. Jesus himself introduces uh, the concept of the kingdom of God in the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 we find the genealogy of the king. In Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 we find the divine protection of the king. In Matthew chapter 3 we hear the announcement of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, we hear about the constitution of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, we see the power of God being displayed through miracles and healings pertaining to the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 11, God or Jesus gives us the announcement of the time in which the kingdom of God began. In Matthew chapter number 13, Jesus taught a parable about the kingdom of God. And so over and over and over in the book of Matthew and in the Gospels, we hear this subject, this topic concerning the kingdom of God mentioned time after time after time. As a matter of fact, the, the Bible mentions in the book of Matthew concerning the kingdom of God, it's mentioned 59 times. It's made reference to 59 times in the book of Matthew alone. So obviously God doesn't have to say anything twice. God doesn't have to mention anything. There's many things that he said that he just mentioned one time. But when there's something repeated in the Bible over and over and over again, that's obviously something that God is wanting us to pay close attention to. Would you agree with that? If he mentions it over and over and over again, God is saying, this is extremely important. I want you to get this. You know, it's like men and women are so different. You know, men, you have to always tell them something twice. And it's actually biblical. Over and over in the Bible, you, you, you hear God speaking to man, and he says, Moses, Moses. And then he says, Joshua, Joshua. And then he says, Samuel, Samuel. Over, I mean, it's biblical. You have to tell men things twice. It never fails. When I say, open your Bible to such and such chapter, a husband will look at his wife and say, what did he say? I just, it's over. Women, you only have to tell them once. You, you tell them one time, and they get it. But men, you have to tell them twice. And so I often sit back and I think, where would we be if we did not have the women in our life? And then all of a sudden I realized we would still be in the Garden of Eden if it were not for... Anyways... That had nothing to do with the message, but it was still funny. Anyway, I'm glad. Thank you for laughing. And all the women are mad now, so we can, you know. But anyways, but when I'm talking about the kingdom of God, it, it is an inexhaustible subject and topic. But what I want to do is I want to break the kingdom down into the different levels of spiritual maturity that God calls us to. Now, if you look in your outline, the first point I want to, to make or the, the first uh, step into the kingdom of God is 
is the cross. We hear a lot of preaching about the cross. The cross is obviously uh, vital, essential uh, to salvation. But, but, but the cross is, is just the first step and entry to the kingdom of God. The cross is the entrance way to the kingdom. It's where everything begins. At the cross, this is where we experience repentance. At the cross is where we uh, receive forgiveness. It's at the cross where we obtain salvation. It's at the cross where we are born again. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, he says, unless you are born again, you will not be able to see the kingdom of God. He goes on to say in the same chapter, in verse 5, he says, unless you are born of the water and the Spirit, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. And so we see that the cross is the entranceway. Jesus died on the cross in order to give us access into the kingdom of heaven. But the cross is just the first part of the kingdom. It's the entrance. The problem in the church is the majority of people or a whole lot of people stop at the entrance into the kingdom. Or in other words, they are entry-level Christians. They take the first step. They receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. They repent of their sins. They are forgiven. They are born again. They are granted access into the kingdom of heaven, but they stay right where they are. What we call people who are entry-level Christians, we call them babes in Christ, right? In other words, they are spiritual Babies. Too many people remain spiritual infants, spiritual babies. They take the first step that gives them access into the kingdom, but they don't take any other steps after that. There's, there's a lot of people that are baby Christians that should be adolescents by now. They should be adults by now. They should have some level and degree of spiritual maturity at this point. The Apostle Paul talked to some people in the book of Hebrews. He said, you know, by now you should be off of the milk and onto the meat. He said, by now, you shouldn't have to have somebody teach you about the Word of God. You should be teaching others. He gives reference over and over again about this, this progression of spiritual development and the expectation that he had and, and concerning the development of the churches that he planted and the believers that he was discipling. He said, I expect you to grow. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to grow up. But here we see that, that the cross is the entranceway. People that stop at the entranceway, they are babes in Christ. Now, it's easy to identify babies in the church. Babies are those that they don't serve, they don't give, they don't get involved, and they don't share in any of the family responsibilities that are going on in the house. Are you, are you with me? Babes in Christ, they take no... All they do is they basically, they come to church and they watch everybody else do everything else. In the average church, 20% of the people do 100% of the work. Everybody else stands back and, and watches. And, and so there's a, a bunch of spiritual infants in, in the local church that don't take upon themselves the family responsibility. Now, we have a lot of children in our house. You guys know that. We've, we've, we've got five. Our youngest child is Jonah. Jonah is four. And Jonah has a big problem. Jonah is selfish. Jonah has it in his mind that the entire family exists to be his personal slave. As a matter of fact... The job description for dad is, dad is my personal assistant. I'm convinced the only reason they let me go on vacation with them is to be able to carry Jonah on my shoulders the entire day. You know, I, I'm convinced that Jonah believes that, that, that I exist in his life to be his personal assistant. That I exist for him 
and him along to, to, to come and go at his bidding. But you know what? That's okay right now. It's okay because he's just four. We, we, we tolerate that right now because he's just a, a baby. But he's got a rude awakening coming. The problem is he, he doesn't realize that he's just one part of a bigger family. And, and so I sit here and I think about this. And, and that is, I wonder how many people in this church fit in Jonah's category. It's quiet up in here this morning. I mean, I wonder how many people believe that this church exists to make them happy. That this church exists to serve them, to take care of them. Now, yeah, there's responsibilities that, that pastors and, and other brothers and sisters that we have to one another, but the church does not exist for you. This church exists and the church exists for those that are not yet here. At some point in time, we have to realize we're just one part of a bigger family, and we have to take the next step once we enter into the kingdom so that we can continue to grow and develop and mature into the people in the church that God has considered us to be or wants us and desires us to be. Now, again, I wonder how many people in our church fit into Jonah's category. They're, they're babies. Now, here's the thing. I've made a lot of bottles in my day. I, I, I made a few. You know what? I don't mind making bottles, and I don't mind feeding babies as long as I don't have to part the mustache to get the nipple in there. I wish somebody would help me this morning. I mean, I don't mind to do those things, but, but as the Apostle Paul said, he said, earnestly desire the sincere milk of the Word. And then he says, now listen, once you are on the milk, there's time for you to move on to the meat. There's times when we're born again, we're babes in Christ, where we need to be fed. We don't know how to feed ourselves. But there comes a time in our life when we need to stop being fed by somebody else and learn how to feed ourselves. That's why we have next steps. As a matter of fact, that's what we're going to talk about tonight or this evening at 5 o'clock, how to become a self Feeder. That, that is the normal. Look, look, if you're 30 years old and you still have to be fed baby food from the Word of God, it's time for you to take off the diaper and grow up a little bit. Amen? And I'm not trying to be harsh or mean or condemning in any way. I'm just saying this is normal. Now, how many in the natural would want to have a 30-year-old child living in their home that you have to personally hand-feed and spoon-feed every single day because they refuse to feed themselves? Jonah, he's at the stage right now. You know, Josiah the same way. Like, Dad, Mom, bring me some chicken nuggets. Them dudes can tear up some chicken nuggets. I mean, we should have stock in chicken nuggets. But, you know, bring me some chicken nuggets. And there's times when it's okay. You know, here's what I'm doing right now. They, 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 they know how to tear wrappers off of stuff, but they've not quite figured out the purpose of the garbage can. Can you imagine? I mean, there's times when, you know what, that, that they just know how to make a mess, but for some reason it never enters their mind that, since they opened that up, I ought to throw it away. So now here's what I'm doing. When they take it off or a wrapper off, they, they rip it open, they sit it down on the kitchen table, I go, <clears throat> you know where that goes, don't you? You know what they do? They come back and they throw it in the garbage. Now they're four and seven. That shouldn't be too difficult of a task. And at some point in time, we have to learn how to teach people how to do tiny tasks in order to learn responsibility. When you're part of a family, everybody has responsibility. Now, our house is a mess. And you know what? I didn't create it. But I have to help clean it up. I mean, they have the ability to pile up stacks of clothes. Now, again, when you've got five children, it doesn't take long for things to become, you know, out of control. But at some point in time, these children ought to know how to take their clothes and put it in the uh, laundry room themselves, right? 
When they're babies, maybe they don't know how to do that. But there comes a time when, you know what, if you make a mess, you ought to learn how to clean that mess up, right? And so the same is true in, in, in the spiritual as it is in the natural. And, and that is what we have to understand. If you have been born again, if you have come to the cross, if you have been saved, if you have been forgiven, if you have been set free, if God has redeemed you, nobody should ever have to tell you to lift your hands and praise God. Nobody should ever have to tell you to, to open up your mouth because the Bible says, clap your hands, all you people. He says, lift up your voice and give a shout of triumph. You know, the reason you have lungs, the reason you have a mouth, the reason you have a tongue is to praise and give glory to God. You should not need anybody to lead you into the presence of God. We should know how to get there ourselves. Amen? But that's, that's entry-level Christianity. That's the first step. Now, again... I understand that, you know, why people don't want to grow up and take on responsibility. Because being an adult is tough at times. As a matter of fact, becoming an adult is one of the dumbest things I've ever done in my life. I had no clue how good I had it while I was living with my mom. Now, for the rest of my life, I have to work. That's devastating. Retirement. <laughs> but you know what? There's no retiring on Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Some of us are focusing on retiring. You know, we've been saved by grace and, 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 and paralyzed by it at the same time. But again, it requires us to say, you know, how many of us say, God, what's my responsibility to this church family? And I understand there's some preachers, they get up and they condemn me. You know, but listen, I, I've, I've had enough condemnation on myself. I've probably condemned enough people. Listen, condemnation is not motivation. It doesn't produce any kind of fruit that is positive. But you know what? I found out people that are growing in their relationship with God learn responsibility naturally, and they look to get involved and help and serve anywhere that they can. But when we become consumer-based... When we just, you know, come to church for the purpose of consuming and not serving, we become spiritually fatted. We become more and more immature instead of developing and growing and becoming who God wants us to be. So the first step or is the entrance into the kingdom. That's the cross. Here's the second step. The second thing that I want you to know is I want you to notice is the covenant. The cross is the entrance the next step is the covenant. Now, Jesus said these words. He says, by this you will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The cross leads us into covenant. And more specifically, covenant relationships. We have to understand that it is not enough for us to repent of our sins. We must go on and intentionally develop covenant relationships with other people. See, the cross gives us life, but covenant teaches us to love. At the cross, we die to sin. In the covenant, we die to self. Let me say that again. At the cross, we die to sin. In the covenant, we die to self. God expects us to develop our relationships with other people because we are a part of a family. When you understand covenant, you understand that you are responsible to somebody and you are responsible for somebody. You know, I was just walking out the door. Rachel was up here. She was helping sing. And she said, where's Jonah at? I went, I don't know. So service started. And you know what? People are worshiping. You know where I'm at? I'm walking outside. Okay? And so I walk outside, I'm like, I think Ryan and I forgot who else was out there. I said, have you seen my child? They said, none of your children have walked outside these doors. I went, praise God. So I walk in, and I, I mean, people are worshiping. I'm back here, and I'm going, where's that dude at? And he's sitting between us. Thank God. It takes a village to raise a child, right? So my point is this. I need your help. 
and you need my help. We need each other. We're better together. One is too small a number to accomplish greatness. And so covenant has to be initiated. Covenant has to be pursued. Covenant has to be developed. And relationships have to become a priority. One of the greatest indicators that a church is maturing in the faith is that relationships and people become increasingly more important. I struggle to try to find out who's here and who's not here every single week. And I'm trying to find out, okay, and I normally give people a couple of times missing before I contact them because nobody likes to be contacted by the pastor, right? They're following up on, oh my God, well, they probably want something. Well, I'm just trying, I have a responsibility. I mean, I've read the job description. I've read the book. I know, I, was, I just read Ezekiel, I think it was 36, where it talks about shepherds over God's people that weren't doing their job. I would encourage you to read that chapter. You could probably feel sorry for me. Because there's a job that's there. He said, you don't go out and rescue the lost. You don't go out and heal the sick. You don't go and bind up the broken. You don't go and look for those that, that, that have wandered away. And he said, you know what? Woe is you. I will take away what I've given you and I will give it to another. I mean, it's, it's just full of things. I have responsibilities. Listen, I don't do this for a job. This is not my career. A career is what you get paid for. Your calling is what you were made for. One day I'll stand before God, and so will you. So in covenant, we understand that relationships have mutual benefit. That it's not one-sided. It's not just one way. They're, 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 we're mutually dependent and interdependent on each other. We all have responsibilities. So at the cross, we die to sin. And at the covenant, we die to self. There's a lot of people, they have repented of their sins. Their name's written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Their ticket has already been purchased. They're on their way to heaven, but they're still selfish. We're still selfish. Listen, and, and here's, here's a, well, let's just ask this question. What is a covenant relationship? A, a good example of a covenant relationship is marriage. Marriage is a good example of a covenant relationship. And with marriage comes responsibility. Can I get an amen? With marriage comes responsibility. Nothing will confront your selfishness like getting married. Getting married only reveals just how selfish you really are. I didn't even know I was selfish. And if you don't think you're selfish, then you're probably in deep selfishness. I didn't even know that I was selfish. And listen, a, a man or a woman that enters into a marriage with the expectation of having the same freedoms to come and go as they please as they did when they were single are a special kind of stupid. You don't have the same freedoms to come and go as you please anymore. Why? Because you have a covenant with somebody else, and you only have half an opinion, and if you're a man, your opinion don't even matter. And all the ladies said. And so, there's responsibilities, and you can't, you, you, you're not, you don't have the same freedoms when you're married that you did when, when you were single because you have made a covenant with somebody else. I always say this to people all the time, and they think I'm joking, and I'm not joking at all. Anytime I sit down, if I marry somebody, I, I go through marriage counseling with them. And if they're not willing to go through marriage counseling, I won't marry them. I don't care who they are. And, you know, we, we spend 12 to 16, 17 years preparing ourselves for our career by getting a diploma and a college degree. And we spend two days getting ready and prepared for the second most important decision of your life. It's nonsense. And so the first thing that I say is this. God has designed marriage in such a way that he intends to kill the both of you. And they just go, because <laughs> you know why you get married, don't you? Because you love. <laughs> well, what's love? 
we, we struggle with the first word that describes what love is patient. When you get married, you find out how impatient you really are. But if being patient is to be godly, I wonder what being impatient means. I'm preaching better than your amen, and you just listening real good this morning. But marriage is designed, and it was God's idea, to kill the both of us. And here's the reason why. Because you cannot have a good marriage until you learn how to die to yourself. Because it's not about you. It's not 50-50. It's basically 90-10. As a matter of fact, when, when, when you're in marriage, the first person to the cross wins. And it's hard. Dying is hard. Paul said, I die daily. And marriage makes you better than what you are because it addresses your selfishness. I'm better today. I know I'm a mess. I know I ain't all that, but I can tell you this much, I'm a whole lot more than what I used to be thanks to my wife. I found out that, you know what, I get a whole lot more smiles when she's standing beside me. I get a lot more hugs when she's standing beside me. We are better together. Two heads are better than one even if both of them are empty. But at the cross we die to sin, but in covenant we die to self. A lot of people, we just want to come to church and blend in with the crowd, but that's not God's design for a church family. Are you with me? We're talking about kingdom stuff here. Now, it requires work. You must be intentional. It takes time. And I understand that in America, we're busy people. But we were created for relationships. And I want to make this very, very clear. You're responsible for somebody, and you're responsible to somebody. My question is, who are your somebodies? Who are you responsible to? Who are you responsible for? People that don't have a family mindset or see the church as a family feel like they're free from responsibility. And so we go from church to church to church to church to church. Did you know that 85% of church growth in America is transfer growth? Now, I'm not saying that people shouldn't, you know, go to a church that they feel like God is leading them to. But we have to come to the point to where we realize that, you know what, this is a place God's planting me. I came from another church before we started this one. But, but God planted me. The Bible says, they that are planted in the house of God shall flourish in his courts. The reason people are so unfruitful in their lives and in their relationships is because they have no root. They've not developed, they've not planted themselves, they've not allowed their root system to, to take root in the soil of the church and they do not bear fruit like God intends for us. The Bible says that it is his will that we bear much fruit and that fruit remain. The root determines the fruit. Now let me ask you, are you planted? If you're not planted, we have next steps tonight to help you get there. We don't do this because we need something else to do. We try to be very mindful of how busy you are. We, we don't try, that's why we don't have a bunch of church services. I used to go to church all the time. We don't want to church people to death because here's the thing, the church is not this building. I'm not the minister we didn't come to church this morning. We brought the church to a building. You are living stones. We're building up a spiritual house. And so we have to change the way that we view the church. And the church is about relationships. Covenant relationships provide accountability and responsibility. And both of those are necessary to grow. One pastor said, you know what? We all do better when we're watched. Amen? You guys all right? I'm parting a mustache this morning. Clay, when I get finished, I want you to open that door so I can run out. Here's the third thing. 
The third step or the next step is the community. Everybody say this with me. The cross. Say it big and loud. The cross. The covenant. The community. These are progressive steps. Now, when we say community, we're talking about the church. Okay? The third benefit of the kingdom is the community, and the church is the community of God. God doesn't build a church with bricks and concrete. He builds it with people. You are the church. The Spirit of God lives in you. The temple of God, you are the temple of God, and the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Now, the church is not something... Let me say it like this. I'm just trying to teach A church is not a club that you join as a member of. The church is a family that you belong to. If if you view the church as a club that you are a member of, then you can just change memberships at will. But if you view the church as a family, you realize that you can't quit family Everybody's got that crazy cousin that when family reunions, you know, they show up and you're like, oh, here comes cousin so-and-so. And, you know, they're always crazy. And if you don't have one of them people, it's probably you. But the church is not a club that you join membership to. It's a family that you belong to. Now, there's two things that I want you to get here that I think are very important when it comes to being a part of a family or a community. Number one or A is fruitfulness. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4.9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. The covenant relationships we have lead us into community. And community always produces life. Community always produces life. Do you know what the greatest witness in the world is? A happy family. Everybody wants to be a part of a happy family. Atheists want to be a part of a happy family. Buddhists want to be a part of a happy family. Muslims want to be a part of a happy family. Hindus want to be a part of a happy family. The greatest witness in the world is a happy family. Mother Teresa said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. But we use words like brother and sister, but the truth is they're just lip service. But when we're talking about the church, we're talking about community, we're talking about family. What did God say to Adam and Eve when he created them and put them in the garden in Genesis 1? He said, be fruitful and multiply. Now, at that point in time, God only created two people, right? God wanted a family, correct? Now, if God wanted a family, why didn't he create two million instead of just two? Couldn't he create two million people as easy as he did two people? If he did, why did he just use two? Because he wanted those two people to become so intimate in their relationship that the natural process of the intimacy between those two people would produce a family. And that's the way the church is supposed to operate. We ought to be so loving, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another, that the world beats the door down trying to get in because they want to be a part of something where they know that they're loved and they're accepted and that they belong. We become fruitful and multiply when we come into the place of community through the development of covenant relationships. What happens when a man and a woman get married? man and a woman gets married. What happens four or five years down the road or a little bit later? What happens? Talk to me. What starts happening? Babies. Does it blow your mind that they start having children? You don't sit back and go, oh my gosh. Now you might when you look at my family and say, I got five children, I don't know how they do it. But the natural process is husband and wife have children 
And as a result of that, a family is established. And that's the way the church should be. All of you have people that you are in relationship with right now that do not know Jesus, that are either family members, friends, co-workers, or neighbors that you don't even talk about inviting them to your church family. And if you don't ever talk or invite anybody to be a part of your church family, it's because you don't view your church as a family. And that is a sign of immaturity. Can you handle this? Blink twice if you're still alive. The cross, the covenant, the community, and the benefit of that is we become fruitful. Here's the second thing. B is fellowship. We can live without buildings, but we can't live without people. As a matter of fact, People are the only thing that we're taking to heaven with us. If you're getting anything else into heaven, you're going to have to smuggle it in people. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us are people. People are the most valuable asset in the kingdom of God, and we have to place value on what God places value on. And God places value on people. Here's what I know. Everybody wants to feel like they're somebody. But if you treat everybody that you meet like they're somebody important, you will communicate to them that they are somebody important to you. Now, I wonder the last time that you made a conscious effort to make somebody else feel like they are somebody to you. And that's the value of being a part of a family is that we place value on every person. Every person has value. Ecclesiastes 4.11 says, If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Being a part of a church, being a part of a family... Being a part of a community of believers places value on every person. Or at least that's the way it should be. And the bigger the church grows, the smaller the church has to become. Because the church can become so big that it's hard to know everybody on a Sunday morning. That is another reason why we have small groups. The first reason we have small groups is because it's biblical. Small groups are biblical. It's not a new concept. It's, it's over 2,000 years old. But the second reason that we have small groups is because we want everybody that is a part of our church to belong to a small group where they know somebody and are known by somebody. Everybody should know somebody and somebody should be known by everybody, and you can only do that in a small group. You can't do that in a large group. So small groups are just that important. And relationships will either make you or break you. They will either hinder you or they will help you. They will either be your greatest source of pain or they'll become your greatest source of pleasure. Psychologists say all the time that emotional trauma and the greatest emotional needs that most people have are rooted in unhealthy relationships. Some of you, you're involved in unhealthy relationships right now, and you're miserable as a result of it. But you know what? If I can help improve your relationships, I can help change your life because your life is summed up by the total of the quality of the relationships that exist. So how are your relationships? We want to be intentional about that. Now, here's the last thing, then go ahead and come to music. The last thing is the kingdom. The cross leads to covenant. Covenant leads to community. And community leads us to the kingdom. Now, I want to summarize this. When we fail to see the kingdom, or when all we do is 
get saved and not progress any farther in our relationship with God, what will happen is we will ultimately digress and go back to the way we were before. When we fail to see the kingdom, listen to this. We digress into something that's smaller. Our community turns into a clique. How many of you, you've been a part of a church where you see and you know that it is full of cliques? God forbid that people would say that about City of Hope. God forbid. And if you're part of a clique, shame on you. You need to grow up. Everybody is welcome here. I said everybody is welcome here. But when you don't see the kingdom, you think it's about us four and no more. We don't invite anybody to church. We're unwilling to even give people a ride to church or home from church. We don't call them. We don't care about them. We don't pray for them. We, we, we feel completely free from any responsibility. And that's the way we live our life is because we're a very small person. But when we fail to see the kingdom, we digress. We become smaller. The community turns into a clique. We revert back to selfish thinking, thinking the community or the church exists to make us happy. And we move from maturity to immaturity. When we fail to see the kingdom, our focus becomes inward instead of outward. Instead of looking out a window, we look into a mirror, and as a result, we begin to shrink. Because when we look out the window, vision increases. When we look into a mirror, vision decreases. Most churches don't grow because they're focused on what happens in here instead of what God is doing out there. God's at work in our world. God's at work in people's lives that are not here today. And I would say if the only time God works in your life is when you come to church, He's probably not working at all. He's probably trying to get you to grow up. It's like the pastor that kept preaching John 3.16 over and over again. You know, he started out, he preached John 3.16. The following week, he preached John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Following week, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Following week, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And the congregation asked him, when are you going to preach something different than, other than John 3.16? He said, when you start doing John 3.16. But each of you have a calling. You have a purpose. Your life carries influence. You have potential. And your potential is God's gift to you, but what you do with your potential is your gift back to God. The Bible says God has saved us and called us with a holy calling. He says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. The Bible says, so then each of us shall give account of ourselves unto God. Moses wrote, teach us the number of our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And that scripture's there. Why, why do we have to know how to number our days? Because our days are numbered. There'll be a day when our time is over and then we'll be thrust into eternity to give an account. God will ask us two questions that day. And the first question he'll ask is, what did you do with my son Jesus Christ? And the second question he'll ask is, what did you do with the life I gave you? The first question will determine where you spend eternity. The second question will determine what you'll be doing in eternity. Those are two sobering questions that I try every single week to try to communicate to you because I believe what's in that book. And I don't want to fail you by failing to tell you the whole truth and not just the parts that we want to hear. Because you're here for a purpose. God has a destiny for your life. 
You were fearfully and wonderfully made. Your steps are ordered by the Lord. But we have to seek God for that destiny. We are responsible to be involved. He's not going to do it automatically. God is sovereign, but He's sovereignly chosen to use prayer, and He's sovereignly chosen to use you to accomplish His purpose and His will. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of what God is doing in my time. And I've said this before, but I want to say it again. Dying is not the same as finishing. Jesus didn't die on the cross. He didn't cry out, I am dying. He said, it is finished. The apostle Paul, he didn't die. He said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished. David didn't die. It says, after he fulfilled the purpose of God for his generation, he fell asleep. Dying is not the same as finishing. And there's some things that are far worse than dying. And that is never living in the first place. And you cannot even begin to know what it's like to be alive until you are wholeheartedly giving yourself over to the one who died for you. Paul said, in him I live and move and have my being. Jesus is everything to me. He's not part of my life. He is my life. I don't have a plan B. I don't have any other plans for the rest of my life other than serving Jesus. And I don't want my passion to die. I want it to continue to grow and grow and grow. And what about you? Is your passion growing? Is your passion dying? And if your passion is dying, I can guarantee it's because you've got distracted, you've got your eyes off of Him, and you've got them onto yourself. If you're too busy to serve, you're too busy. If you're too busy to get involved, you're too busy. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be involved in extracurricular things. I'm just saying God has to be that priority. Anything you get out of order, you will lose. And you must do everything you possibly can to keep and guard those priorities or you will lose them. Failing to commit to a daily devotional time with God is the first step in backsliding. People don't just move from loving God to hating God. They move from loving God to being indifferent, to being apathetic, to being lukewarm. They move from the front to the middle to the back and then out the door slowly and subtly. Leviticus chapter 3 said that the fire shall forever be burning upon the altar. And your heart is the altar of God. And the question is, is that fire still burning? If it's not, you better get back to the altar. You better find your place in the altar because things are winding up. Things are coming down. It's about to go down. And I don't know about you, I want him to find me ready. Stand with me. You're either stretching or you're shrinking. There is no middle ground. There is no straddling the fence. The law of gravity teaches us this. One cup of water poured into another cup of water spills over and falls to the ground and then falls into the creek and the creek runs into the river and the river runs into the ocean and on and on and on it it continues to flow into something larger than itself and when the river of God is not flowing out of you 
and you become damned up and stagnant on the inside, pretty soon, all the life that was once in you dies. The reason there's no living creatures, there's no fish, there's nothing that has any life in the Dead Sea is because the Dead Sea is a reservoir and not a river. It contains, but it doesn't channel. God's not created you to be a reservoir where you come to church and you just soak. He's created you to be a channel where the river of God can flow in your life and through your life to those that are thirsty and are dying of thirst. So let me ask you, are you a river or are you a reservoir? Do you come to church and you just soak or do you pour out what's being poured into you? Maybe you're here this morning and I feel this in my spirit. There's some of you that you're dry. You're not just dry, you're empty. And you've been that way for a long time. But on the outside, you look like you've got it together. You, on the outside, you, you're here physically, but spiritually, mentally, and emotionally, you're totally disconnected. You're on another planet. You're, just, you're like a robot that gets up in the morning, gets on a treadmill, and the treadmill takes you wherever that is that it wants you to go, and you just find yourself here every Sunday morning. It's mechanical, and there's no spiritual life, power, vitality living in you. And God said, if that is you, it's time for you to come to Him and ask Him to deliver you and to set you free. It's a big deal. So maybe you're here this morning and you're lost. Jesus said this, not me. Unless you were born again, you'll not enter into the kingdom of heaven. If you were to stand before God today, if today, God forbid, to be your last day, you're thrust out into eternity, and you to stand before God today, and one day you will, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Are you lost or are you saved? Are you forgiven or are you still in your sin? If you're lost, Jesus has come. If you're thirsty, he says come. If you're dry, he says come. If you're dead, he says come. If you're stagnant, he says come. But if you're full, if you're alive, if the power of God's living in you, He says something different to you. He says to you, go. Go into all the world. Go to the highways and the byways and compel them to come. He says, go, or He says, come. Those are the only two words that He's saying to us this morning. Come or go. Come or go. And if you're lost, He's saying, come. Well, maybe you're here this morning and you're saved. You're a new Christian. You just recently got saved. I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to be here tonight at 5 o'clock. And your next step is to come to next steps. We've tried every way in the world to, to rearrange this to the point to where it's going to be most accommodating so that it's not something that is becoming overbearing to you. So we're having it every other week now. If you've never been through Next Steps, I want to encourage you to come. That's your next step. If you're here, you've been safe for a while, but you're not involved, you don't serve, you don't give, you're not a part of the ministry, you just sit and, and let everybody else do the work. It's time for you to step up and take upon you some of the family responsibility. You wouldn't accept this in your own children and God doesn't accept that out of his own children. But maybe you're here. And you've been following God for a long time. But right now, you're in that stagnant place. And you know it. And you need God to do something on the inside of you. They're going to sing a song. And they're going to play. If God's speaking to you, I believe with all of my heart, He's challenging 
all of us, including me, in areas of selfishness. And don't give in to the selfishness that you've been walking in for a while. We need helpers in ministry. Be a river and let God channel through you into the life of somebody else and watch Him change your life upside down, inside out. Amen. As they sing and as they play, I want to encourage you to come. Let's pray. Let's seek God. God, stir up inside of us that passion, that fire that we once had. God, come, come right now. Set us free from this stagnation, this dryness, this emptiness. I encourage you to get out of your seat. Respond to the Holy Spirit. I know the Lord speaks to you.